You heard about the man who was uh, standing before the judge on Christmas Eve. And the judge says, uh, what are you here for? The guy said, uh, I was caught shopping early for Christmas. No crime in shopping early for Christmas, he said. It was before the store opened. <laughs> so uh, anyway, <laughs> Christmas is almost over, amen. If you haven't done your shopping by now, I pity you, amen. Matthew chapter 2. Now, I think we need a primer on just how to worship, especially at Christmas. Worship is a, a, a wonderful word that is, that is so different than the way we live, and yet worship is what we do as Christians. Here on Christmas Eve, I think that it is the last thing, talking about worship, not just, a lot of people will attend church. A lot of people will put money in when they pass by the nativity crib. I, just, there's Christmas, but there's no worship at Christmas. It's been that way for a long time. Christmas Day has been forcibly molded and fashioned into a holiday instead of a holy day. Christmas is a big family day instead of a church day. I found people who think that Christmas is kind of in the way. I'm talking about biblical Christmas. You know, well, you're really upsetting my schedule. Really? I'm upsetting your schedule? Christmas for most people is a Santa day instead of a Jesus day. It's a gift-getting day instead of a contented day. It is an eating and drinking day instead of a pondering and thoughtful day. If you don't slow down tomorrow, I pity you, because if you're not sitting there and just being overawed by the gifts around you at Christmas, I'm talking about people, and you've got some serious work to do on your heart, Christmas ought to be a pondering day. For a lot of people, Christmas is a disappointing day instead of a wonderful and joyous day. It's a stressful day instead of a worshipful day. Now, all that's not, not all that wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have family and you shouldn't have food and you shouldn't have gifts, but we're way out of balance. We know all too well how to get into debt at Christmas. We know how to live stressed out, worn out, burned out. I know a lot of people who just want to run and hide from everyone and everything. It's easy to blow your cool and ruin Christmas for everyone around you if you're not careful. But very few people know how to worship at Christmas. So, in that first Christmas, back in Bethlehem, there was one action, one effort, one thing going on. And it was worship. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, would it be possible that you could take a lot of out-of-balance hearts and homes and Fix us this morning. Sort of twist us back right towards what, what Christmas ought to be like in our homes. We're Christians. Born again by the grace of God. Shouldn't Christmas 
be better. Pray you not only convict, but you'd change us and, and give us resolve to say, you know what, I want Christmas to be different this year. I want Christmas to be the right kind of thing. Not that we're going to get rid of all the gifts and get rid of all the food and tell everybody to go home. No, no. We're going to gather around our family. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to worship. Lord, let that be true in every home. It's not going to happen out there. 99.999% of the people outside of these, these four walls are not going to worship. At least born-again Christians should. So help us to worship you. Help us learn how, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so by way of background, there's a lot of worshiping going on at that first Christmas. If you go to Luke chapter 1, go all the way back to Luke, go to the right, find Luke chapter 1. There's a lot of worshiping going on, not just by the wise men, but Luke chapter 1 in verse 39, John the Baptist worshiped Jesus before he was even born. He was worshiping, amen. Luke chapter 1 in verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Now she's just got the news that, that her cousin is pregnant and she herself is now with child of the Holy Spirit. And she's, verse 40, she's raced to go see her cousin. And as she entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth, her cousin, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, speaking to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as lo, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. She didn't say he kicked. She didn't say he burped. She, did, she said he was excited that Jesus was here. Even John the Baptist, before he was born, and before Jesus was even born, John worshipped. Elizabeth herself worshipped. We read there in verse 42. She spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit, the life in thy womb. She worshipped the Lord Jesus. Mary herself, in verse 46, it goes on. Look in verse 46 and 47. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Those are worship terms. My soul, my emotions, every fiber of me makes him big, makes him look awesome. I magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary worshiped Jesus. Too many people worry about worshiping Mary. I had somebody yesterday talking about Our Lady and all this stuff, and I had to stop her, and I says, look, she's a wonderful woman, but she was not to be worshiped. Jesus is. Mary herself worshiped Jesus. The angels worshiped Jesus. Luke chapter 2. The angels appear and they're saying, glory to God, all glory to God. Hey, man on earth, give glory to God. They worshiped Jesus at his birth. The shepherds worshiped when they came and they saw the babe and they knelt before him and they worshiped this newborn king. Simeon, 40 days later in Luke chapter 2, this old man He's, he's, he's nearly blind. He comes up and he grabs the baby right out of Mary's arm. Now, you wouldn't normally tolerate that. You're just walking, mind your own business. You got this 40-day-old baby, and up pops this old man. He grabs the baby, and he says, Woohoo! 
Now mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's worshiping Jesus. <clears throat> Old Anna. She also stops Mary and Joseph and says, that baby is set for the falling and the rising again of Israel. That baby's son of God. That baby's worth worshiping. Seems to be a lot of worshiping going on in that first Christmas. Would you agree? So how do we do it? <clears throat> how should we do it? Well, there's a pattern in all of those events. We could look at any one of those things and see a lot of things that could encourage and equip us but the most fun and the most enjoyable one, I think, that I've enjoyed is learning from the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. If we'll go back there, we'll spend some time and just learn how to best worship the Lord Jesus at Christmas. Because I think Christmas, all is about Him. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 2, how to worship Jesus at Christmas. <clears throat> The first thing I want you to see, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from, Jerusalem, from the east to Jerusalem. What were they coming to do? Verse 2 tells you they came to worship him. So the first thing, the most important thing, if you're going to worship Jesus at Christmas, is it means you to worship him. These men sought to worship Jesus and no one else. Now, there were, they called him, verse 2, it says, and we'll read it again, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, there were loads of kings in those days. There was Caesar Augustus, who was king over all kings, over all the world. Herod was king over Jerusalem. And there were kings and rulers over lots of different regions all over the Western world. But these wise men ignored them all. They overlooked all the authorities and all the powers of the world on their way as they sought to worship one person, Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a child, I grew up, there was only one thing about Christmas, and that was me getting to those presents. You know, I grew up since then, man. Not only did I grow up, I got saved. And there's one thing I want to do at Christmas, and that is worship Jesus. Now, I think that a lot of people in this room would say, oh, Jesus, he's the reason for the season. Jesus, he's everything about Christmas, and yet you don't mention or do anything that worships him in your home? What kind of hypocrites? These men sought to worship Jesus and no one else. Now, worship is a wonderful word. It simply means to adore, to honor in the extreme, to give supreme respect, to bow before the presence of. It means to give all your attention to at that moment. And it means to love extravagantly and to be in extreme submission and obedience to the one that you're worshiping, which should be God. <clears throat> Wonder, are you giving that kind of attention to anyone else? Maybe to your friends. I know I used to. My friends used to have so much control over me. <clears throat> we used to ride bikes back in a... In a, uh, back behind our, our primary school, um, uh, I was probably about nine years old, and I had maybe three brain cells. And so we would always dare one another to do dumb things. Why don't they dare us to do good things? I don't know. But anyway, there was a ravine. It was about eight feet wide and about six feet deep. 
And one person dared me on my bike because I was claiming to be a great biker. Back in those days, there was a guy named Evil Knievel that was our hero. And so somebody says, jump, Craig, jump your bike across. And I went, I'll do it. All three brain cells were firing. And so we built this platform to prop me up. I was going to go flying across. I wanted to impress those friends. I wanted to think that I was Evil Knievel Jr. Well, when I woke up <laughs> on the bottom of that ravine, <laughs> I started to realize that I had lost two of the remaining brain cells. And I started to realize maybe they're not worth trying to impress. But honestly, our friends have so much power over us. They get us to steal. They get us to lie. They get us concerned about what is what we should wear. They would get us concerned about what we're, how we're supposed to talk. I remember, how many ever had your mouth washed out with soap? None of you are, are, are honest enough. One. Two. Tell me, well, my parents were never that mean. Your parents weren't as good as my mom. Because there was one day, I was with my friends, and they started using a new word. And I thought, look at the attention you get when you say that word. And so I'm going around saying that word. Woo! And my mom could hear me from about 50 feet away. You know how big these ears are? Do you know why they're so big? Because my mom grabbed them, dragged me home, set me up on that thing. You're never going to say that word again. And yeah, amen. She says, who taught you that word? Do you give all that attention to worship to your friends? How about the movie stars? Filthy, wicked music stars? It's amazing and it is so delightful to see them crumbling. I hope every last one of them are exposed for the filthy pedophiles they are. Amen, amen, and amen. But there's kids growing up trying to be like Madonna, trying to be like Beyonce or Bouncy or whatever her name is. People align their politics with what a, poli what a, what a musician thinks. Matt Damon sitting up there saying, there's ban guns, ban guns. I don't know what your issue about guns is, but he's got no reason and no right to talk about guns when every one of his movies he's killing everybody he can. Yeah, and yet everybody gets their politics and their opinions from these actors and musicians. What's my point? My point is we worship them. They tell us how to live. They tell us what to do. We love them. Oh, oh, they're so, they're so caring. They're so compassionate. They care about the environment. A lot of people worship their teachers and their professors. Something happens when a kid grows up in church and they get about 17, 18, 19. I'm watching you, Dean. They get about 17, 18, 19, and they're in class, and some teacher takes over from God. And, and they, the, the student starts worshiping the teacher, the professor. Don't do it. Don't do it. How about your girlfriend? I don't like that church. <coughs> I, I want you all to myself. Yeah. Who are you worshiping? Religious leaders. Look at how priests and popes seek all the world's attention. Instead of, you know, the purpose of a, of a person of faith is to point people to Jesus Christ. Not to themselves. I was asked yesterday, what's the difference between you and the church? I said, I just want you to know Jesus. I don't care if I ever meet you again. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to know him and love him and live for him. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome if the Vatican said that? 
Then there are those who are into their video games and entertainment. They worship virtual reality instead of here and now. And I'm just saying this. Jesus, only Jesus is worthy of such worship. Would you agree with that? These men came to worship him. So remember who Jesus is. He is Christmas. Secondly, they worshiped him personally. It still goes on. Verse 2, it says, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. Now think about it. Here, the king of heaven was making a personal visit to this earth. Now, I don't know who's most important in your life. Maybe it's your grandparents. I still, to this day, Christmas didn't begin until my grandparents came. They were special to me. My grandfather's still my greatest hero of all time next to Jesus Christ. When my grandparents came, my granddad smoked a pipe. But I would sit at his, at his knee, and I thought it smelled like heaven. Smoked like hell, but it smelled like heaven. <clears throat> and my granddad and my grandma... When they came, I just, I just tell you, Christmas began for me. And they made a visit to us. So I stopped everything. I don't care what I was doing. I was going to spend time with them. Would you understand that? Well, if God visited us here, shouldn't we take a stop and go, let's spend some time with him? He deserves to be personally worshipped. A lot of people are passive in their worship. A lot of you are passive in your worship. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, you don't sing. I mean, you sit on the very back. <laughs> you kind of want to be invisible. That's your business. Do whatever you want. I know this. These guys left where they were. How far did you come today? I got some people who came all the way from Killarney here today. How far are you willing to go because you personally want to worship Jesus? Amen. They want to do it themselves. Didn't want it to be passive or general, but personal. Even if they were the only ones. I look out on, on Sunday morning. You know what time we start? Half ten. Do you know how many people are here at half ten? About 15 people. Now about 22, another 30 people came, amen. But you know, if only 15 people are here, you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I just look out and I go, Lord, just you and me maybe. <laughs> Preacher looked out on his congregation one Christmas Eve. And he saw one man come in. He's a farmer. And the preacher looked out there and almost tears in his eyes. He was so grieved. Everybody else was too busy. And he looked out on that Christmas Eve, wanted to sing, and sort of closed up his Bible and he said, well, I guess it's just you and me. I guess we won't have church. An old man looked at him and says, why would you do that? I mean, if I only had one cow, I'd still milk it. <laughs> Guy opened up his, his Bible and preached at him. Amen. Folks, if nobody else showed up at Christmas and they're all still busy downstairs, if everybody wants to do their own thing, everybody wants to watch TV, doing, at least a Christian ought to get their Bible out and worship at Christmas. That doesn't mean you miss the meal and you, you don't have fun. But man, stop and personally take time to spend with Jesus. Worship. I think these wise men were fanatics. What's a fanatic? A fanatic is someone who enjoys something so much they're willing to stand out of a crowd and let everybody know that they're enjoying it. 
You know what these are. Right there. You know what those are? Fanatics. <laughs> what about these guys? They're fanatics. They're willing to look weird, act weird, stand out. Everybody look at them and laugh at them. They love, they love uh, rugby. You know what those are? Fanatics. They don't mind looking weird, singing weird lyrics that don't make any sense and, and, and staying up all hours. And I've seen fanatics, man. I've seen, them, I've seen worship at football matches. I've seen worship at discos. I've seen worship at rock concerts. Funny, I don't see enough worship at church. <laughs> Took that picture last week. No, anyway. <laughs> I find a lot of timid, embarrassed people who don't want the world to know how much we love Jesus Christ. Don't leave it to others to be fanatical about Jesus. Don't do that. Seek to draw close to the Son of God yourself. You know, if I were to honestly evaluate my life from day to day, there are times when I am close to God, there are times I'm not close to God. You ever, you, ever, you ever felt that way? Check yourself at Christmas and say, I want to get close to him. I want to just spend time and just confess everything that ever comes to my mind. Let me look back over my week or my month and just see how little time I spent. God, be, be merciful to me. God, I'm so sorry that I haven't thought and, and, and praised and been grateful and, and lived for you. And God, I just want to be close. That's worship. Amen. Don't leave it to somebody else. You do it. Make getting close to him your only priority at Christmas. You know, if you and I spend as much time praising and thanking the Lord, and praying and just adoring him, you, did, you and I did as much of that as we've been complaining and stressing out about Christmas, we'd be the happiest people on the planet. I read about somebody, I thought they were going into town, going shopping the other day. And uh, I wrote on Facebook, I went, no, don't, because that stresses me out. Don't want to have anything to do with parking. Do you know, you can spend so much of that time, you forget. I need to just, personally, I need to just worship the Lord. Make getting close to Him your priority. Third, they worship Him at all costs. Look at verse 3 now. Now when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, and, and they said unto him, He's in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, uh, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. You know, how do you know a politician's lying? Because his lips are moving. That's right. This guy's saying, oh, I want to worship him. Yeah, right. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, 
they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east now went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Just think about all costs. These wise men had traveled a very long distance, about 600 miles. The east was from Babylon. These were uh, men that had, had traveled 600 miles by foot or by camel. That takes a long time. It takes weeks to travel that kind of distance. And they never gave up. I mean, I've traveled with my kids in the car, and you almost want to give up. I mean, I know exactly what my dad meant when he said, don't make me come back there. <laughs> Think about these men as they travel weather-wise, provisions, trying to get to water. I mean, there were not laybys. There were not loads of places to stop and, and break. They had to travel intensely for weeks because they were persistent. They traveled with very few helps. They only had some of the Old Testament prophecies. Yes, they had Genesis, Exodus, but they, they, their last book that they had was the book of Daniel. So when they read in Numbers chapter 24, it said that a star would rise and, and signify the birth of a Jewish king. And so when they saw this star over in the west, and how it moved and it drew them, and they started to go towards this star, and that star kept moving west, they followed that star. Again, verse Verse 1, it says, verse 2, it says, we've seen his star way over in the east, and we've come to worship him. And that's persistence. But they ended up in the wrong place. They, they ended up in the only logical place for a king to be born, which is in a palace. If he's a king, you'd think he'd be born in a palace. But they didn't find anybody worshiping in Jerusalem. Instead, they found everybody freaked out. I like how it says there, Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. But they didn't give up. These, they had very few helps. They experienced loads of delays. It's been over a year since Jesus' birth, and they're still not there. You know, I missed Christmas for the first 17 years of my life. There were loads of delays on me finally realizing what the real purpose of that thing was. But I tell you what, I'm not missing it anymore. They kept going. Ended up in the wrong place, experienced loads of delays, yet they kept going. Now they had a little help from Scripture. Scripture will always give you some direction. You don't know what the will of God is for your life? Read. Because God speaks through this book. Next time you're looking for an audible voice, the devil will give you one. Don't listen for it. Just stay in this book until God confirms something in your heart, and it's confirmed with Scripture. So they had a little bit of Scripture that told them in Bethlehem. So as soon as they left from the palace, there's that star again. And as they walked, that star kept leading them until they found the very house where the Messiah would be born. How far did you travel today just to worship? How far would you go? How much time did it take you? It took these men weeks. No matter what it costs, worship the Lord Jesus this Christmas. You say, I'm so tired. I could sleep for a week. I know, I know. Sleep after you spend some time in worship. Tell everybody to go home early and get your sleep. But don't miss worshiping Him at all costs. You see, we'll go out of our way to guilt buy for everyone on our list. You know what guilt buying is, don't you? Yeah. 
I tell you what, every time I give somebody a Christmas card, you know what all happens? The next day they've got to give me a Christmas card. I go, no, 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 you have to do that. When we first moved into our estate, Nita made some, some fruitcake. And um, we went over to our neighbors, we gave it. The next day, they're bringing chocolates and bringing... I went, no, no, what is this? I couldn't understand it. So we stopped giving gifts. It was sad. But people do things out of guilt. They got to, oh, I got to do this now. And, and it's like, no, no, you don't. No, no, no. But there are people who will get themselves in intense debt to make sure little Johnny is happy for an hour. Please be happy. Yeah, 4,000 euros later. Would you spend that kind of money on missions? And on just honoring Jesus. No matter what it costs, seek the Lord. <clears throat> you know why that's a good thing to do? Because you will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You shall seek me, you shall find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. Uh, you'll find him. He's not far from any of us. Um, Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, help me out, Tony. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Yep. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. He's not far from you. You don't have to go to Israel. You don't have to go to Canada. You definitely don't have to go to Texas. Praise the Lord. He's not far from any of us. You can go right to him in prayer. He's not far. And thirdly, because he came looking for you. The Son of Man came, not, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's looking for you. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? When you desire and decide finally to look for him, you'll find out he's been looking for you all your life. Hey, what's, what's keeping me from getting saved? Direction. If your focus is everything on this earth and everything about you and you won't look unto him, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. All you got to do is change your direction and look at him and seek him and he will be found. Amen. You say, well, it's hard. I, it'll cost me to, to become a Christian. Yeah, well, cost you your friends probably. You know, in the Bible, when they got born again, they lost their jobs. They lost their families. I think Jesus is worth it. You get a better family than you ever imagined, by the way. And they worshiped him humbly. Look at verse 11. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they, what? Let the next two words say, and fell down and worshiped him. I don't know if you understand this, but real men are humbled in the presence of Jesus. And I'm talking about real men. Here are grown men, several grown men, highly intellectual, noblemen, important men in Babylon, politically powerful men, wealthy men. And here they are coming before a young child and falling down on their faces in true worship. I miss that. I'm sick and tired of people thinking that you get educated out of Christianity. I'm really tired of people thinking that Christianity is only for children and only for weaklings and weak minds. <clears throat> Greatest minds of all time have come, tested that Bible, and find, found out historically, prophetically, um, uh, uh, 15 different categories. Everything about that Bible is true and had to admit they were wrong. The problem is, 
pride has just eaten up our generation now. Nobody wants to finally admit that he's right and we're wrong. It is, it is important for the greatest to humble themselves before God. If you're ever going to worship God, you're going to have to do it humbly. When somebody worships Jesus, you're not honoring a fable or a child's story. You're worshiping the King of Heaven, the creator of everything there is. You're, you're, you're worshiping Him like He's everything and you're nothing. These men, when they would walk, and they, they were able to walk in Jerusalem, walk into the palace of King Herod, and they had an audience with the king, and the king had to respect them. He couldn't say, go away, I'm busy. They were his equal. And yet when they were in presence of Jesus, they were not his equal. Do you understand? And neither are we. Real men humble themselves in the presence of Jesus. Real men worship the Lord Jesus. Real men don't worship sports balls or goalposts. Real men don't worship bank accounts or success stories. Real men don't worship themselves or any other man or woman for that matter. You ever seen these bodybuilders? You know, they're like this. You know what they're in front of? Mirrors. Yeah. That's not a real man. Ladies, you wouldn't want to marry him because he won't let you in front of the mirror. <laughs> real men, smart men, men who have learned history and know science and tested all the evidences, humble themselves before the name of Jesus Christ, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, real men worship Jesus Christ. And they worship Him unashamed. I mean, who, who, are they, who are they being watched by? Who are they being looked at by? I mean, honestly, if, if there's anybody else in the room, they're going, oh, look who's bowing. Yeah, they're unashamed. Amen. They're unashamed. You know, when I say they worshipped him humbly, that means they worshipped him embarrassingly. It's not a word, but it's a good truth. <laughs> they worshipped him out of step with what everyone else was doing. They were so totally focused on Jesus, even though they were being watched. They weren't bothered by anybody snickering or laughing. You know, there's one thing we don't have in this church, and that is a, a prayer altar. And I've always regretted that. Because there comes a time in the Christian's life where you're going to have to get off your rear and be embarrassed. An invitation, and the pastor says, does anybody want to get saved? Does anybody want to just get right with God? Does anybody here want to come up to this prayer altar and cast your burdens? And we miss that. Because there's a time where you need to humble yourself. If you're ever going to get right, there are too many people I've watched come in these doors, sitting here, excited for a little while, learning the Bible, and then they go cold. You know why? Because they never humble themselves. They never come down out of their lofty cloud. Don't you be like that. Don't be like that. Real men humble themselves to the embarrassment of themselves. Unashamed. It... it, it, it I thought about this. I read about a pastor who had a lady come and say, I'm not attending church anymore. So the pastor said, can I ask why? She said, I've been watching people in your church. And I see people on their 
mobile phones texting and typing during the service. I see some gossip going on. I see some people who aren't living right, and some are sleeping during your preaching, and some stare at me. You're all just hypocrites. The pastor was silent, and then he said, can I ask you to do something for me before you make your final decision? He said, would you go and get a glass of water and walk around this church two times? Don't let any water fall out of the glass. She said, I can do that. So she went, she got a glass of water and walked around the church two times. She came back, she said proudly, it's done. The pastor asked her, did you see anybody on, your, on their phone? Did you hear anybody gossiping? Did you notice anybody living wrongly? Did you see anybody sleeping? And she said, no, I didn't see any of that because I was so focused on this glass so the water wouldn't spill out. He told her exactly. So when you come to church, be just that focused on Jesus because he said, follow me, not Christians. A lot of people get burned out at Christmas because they're watching Christians or they're watching the world or they're watching the economy. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's about time that we humble ourselves and worship Jesus Christ at home, at church, at school, at work, and that he's our king. We fly our flag high and we say, I serve under that flag, gladly. And they worshiped him with their best. Verse 11, we'll through with this. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these men had not just gone to visit with Jesus. I know a lot of people come to church to visit Jesus because you're busy. But these men hadn't come to visit. They brought treasures. They brought their best as part of their worship. Would you agree that the Lord Jesus deserves our best? In our Western culture, we have been so conditioned to think that only ourselves deserves the best. Everyone else, including God Almighty, gets seconds or last. I know of people who have a problem with giving their best to the Lord Jesus. You know why they have the problem? Because they don't really know who Jesus is. If you knew who the King of Glory is, you'd realize this church is not about us. This church isn't about anything except worshiping Him. And worship involves sacrifice. Worship doesn't mean a few bob in the offering box. Worship means giving your best. You ought to worship Him with your best years. Don't wait till you get a little older. I met a lot of people when I was 17 years old. I met a lot of people who were in their 40s and 50s, and they were as stiff as that. They weren't moving. They were in church, but they weren't flexible. They weren't soft. They weren't worshiping. They were hard. You know what they decided when they were young? They'd wait a little while before they'd worship. Maybe when they got retirement. Maybe when they had everything all going well. You know what happens when you don't worship him in your young years? You'll never worship him. It only gets harder and harder and harder. That's nature. Give him your best years. Um, how old were you, Dean, when you got saved? You're 12. Those are your best years. I mean, a kid getting saved at six years old, 
That was your best years. I got saved when I was 17. I think, I think those are the best years. I would never want to wait till I'm 57 before I started to really be a fan of Jesus Christ and really worship him. I mean to where I'm embarrassingly to others. <laughs> Embarrassing. Give him your best years. Worship him with now. Don't wait until it's the end of the day. Don't wait until it's a little later. Don't wait. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, in the new year, Pastor, I'll be more faithful. Liar. Well, I'll start tithing if I win the lottery. Liar. How dare you call me a liar? You are. Because if you'll wait until something happens before you do what you're supposed to do now, you'll never do it. And the devil will make sure you'll never do it. Worship him now. I mean, there ought to be nobody in this room who doesn't go home convicted saying, you know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to eat, I'm going to spend the rest of the day, family around. Lord, I don't want to miss spending time with you. Lord, help me to first myself. Gentlemen, first yourself. Get on the side of your bed. Get on the side of the couch. Embarrass your wife seeing you on your knees saying, God, help me to make my home a place of worship this Christmas. Do it now. Don't say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You won't have time tomorrow. Do it now. Give me your now. Give me your purity. I look at little five-year-old, six-year-old kids. They're all, they're playing. Little girls, they're all in their dresses. They're so gorgeous. They're so primmed up. By 15, they're tattooed, pierced. They're used and abused. You know, God started you out clean. God started you out pure. You better give him your purity. Now, God will take our brokenness. Hallelujah. He'll take, he'll take us. But you know what you ought to do? Stay pure. Say, Lord, I'm going to stay pure till the day I'm married. Amen. I'm going to keep these eyes out of that pornography. I'm going to keep my life clean from drugs. I'm never even going to touch one. I wish I could say I never drank. But when I was about seven years old, I had a high fever of about a, what would it be? It's 107 degrees. So that'd be what? 36, 37, 38 degrees. It was way over the top. So the doctor said, give him some cold duck. Now, whatever that is, I don't know. It's an alcoholic drink in America. And my mom gave me some cold duck and bathed me in it to bring my temperature down. That's the only time I ever took a drink. Mm, amen. You know the first woman I ever kissed, besides my mom, was Nita Ledbetter. You know what got me there? I got saved at 17. I saw a lot of perversion. I saw a lot of teens messing around. So much made me sick even as an unsaved kid. When I got saved, I heard my preacher say, stay pure. I said, I will. And I'm glad I did. He said, it's impossible. It is not. It is not. Not if you want to worship him. Amen. You say, you're putting guilt on me. I wish I could. If the Holy Spirit does, mission accomplished. Worship him with your purity. Worship him with your best talents. There's got to be somebody in this room that can play the piano. Oh, by the way, I was going to tell you, Mona fell yesterday. Don't know why I didn't remember it when I started preaching. But let me say, she was at the shopping center. She misjudged the footpath in the, in the road. And she fell and she hurt herself. They thought it was fracture or break, did x-rays. She's just very sore. <clears throat> Do you know what? I'm glad for every volunteer. Yes, amen. 
But listen, if you've got a talent, why don't you worship God with your talents? Amen. Amen. If you can coach basketball, football, soccer, rugby, why don't you help teach Sunday school, coach some kids for God? Amen. Use your talent. If you can manage business and finances, why don't you help us out in the office? Amen. Give them your talent. That's what worship is. Now you're meddling, Pastor. Now you're getting into my business. Yeah, I am. Give me your best talents. Give them your money. Don't give me your money. We're talking about giving God your best. Most people think that Jesus deserves all their debts. <laughs> Dear Lord, I'm so in debt. Can I give you my debts? <laughs> you know what? You know, if, you, if he had authority over your money before you got in debt, you wouldn't get in debt. Don't wait until you have no money before you think of honoring the Lord with money. Amen. Worship Him with all your heart. I, I mean, honestly, the Lord gets all our leftovers. Don't do that. I don't know why so many people in this room give so little of their lives to the Lord Jesus, Brother Dan. I don't know why. But you know the truth is? I'm one of them. Compared to what I should be and what I wish I was, as far as worship, as far as, as being so yielded to His will, I think it's a contradiction of worship to not to want to give our best. So give the Lord. Hold on here. Give the Lord your very best. It'll never be much anyway. <laughs> you know, the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh, priceless, but it wasn't much. You bring to the Lord your life, broken, messed up, history, baggage, and the Lord will say, it's just what I always wanted. <laughs> it's perfect. That's the Lord. Just give it all. How you worship the Lord Jesus at Christmas? Well, it's probably the last thing on most everybody's minds. But we should worship the Lord Jesus a lot at Christmas, especially at Christmas. Elizabeth worshipped Jesus. Mary did. John the Baptist did. The shepherds, Simeon, Anna. I think all of that to just sort of encourage us to go, we need to put our name there too. How do we do it? Just remember who Jesus is. He is Christmas. If you're doing everything for your kids, wrong focus. If you're doing everything so that everybody's happy, wrong focus. Do something for Jesus. Make getting close to Him your only priority this Christmas. You know, if you get right with God, God will make your enemies to even be at peace with you. Especially if your enemy is your husband or your wife or whatever. <laughs> All right, anyway. Number three, be persistent at seeking Him. The devil's going to throw everything in your way. Everything's going to stop you from getting open your Bible. Stop you. Your kids are going to go, what are you doing? You're interrupting our Christmas. And you say, sit down. We're going to worship. Be persistent. Humble yourself before him. You know what your kids may need to see? Mom and dad humbling themselves before their kids and saying, we need to worship Jesus. Let's get on our knees. Let's humble ourselves. Let's grab each other's hands. Let's hold each other close. Let's pray and let's praise him. Let's be thankful. Let's, let's give unto him the glory due unto his name.
and you give them your best. Father, we love you. We need you this evening, this morning, to change our heart about worship. We think we need a big, a big cathedral. We need to be have, it, have everything all figured out and planned out. We think that, that worship is so complex and so formal. But it was simple. John the Baptist didn't have a temple, didn't have any gifts even to bring. But in that womb, he leaped for joy. He worshipped at the presence of the Son of God. Anna had no money. Simeon had nothing to give. Mary and Joseph had nothing. They were so poor, they couldn't even bring an offering. They had to bring two turtle doves. But they wanted to worship. So, Lord, I've talked about an un-Christmas concept in the modern world. I've talked about worship. I pray that we would take it to heart. And our homes will be a places of worship now at Christmas. It would be a shame if there are homes represented here who you're not invited to, who you're not even a part of, Lord. It would be a shame for somebody in this room to miss the gift of Christmas, which is eternal life found in Jesus Christ. May somebody cry out to you with all their heart and say, Lord, have mercy on me and save me today. I remember doing it. I remember the, the overwhelming fear and confusion just melting away as I said, I just want you, Lord. I just want to know you, and I just want to live for you, but I need you. So, Lord, would that be somebody's prayer today? And may every Christian have the desire to make their home and their lives a place of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.